Well, huge thank you to all the children who recorded that reading of the Children's Storybook Bible. If you've never read the Children's Storybook Bible, you should see if you can get one from the library or maybe pick up a copy. Even if you're not a child, it's a really fun way to read the Bible. And that's where that came from today. And it's focused on the part of the Bible that's way at the end, which is the focus of our conversation today. And I want to talk to you about how the end of God's story in the Bible dramatically impacts the way that we understand the whole of the story. The end of the story determines the meaning of the story as a whole. And if you think about it for a minute, that's true for any story you can think of. Think of uh, maybe like your favorite movie or your favorite TV show, especially those TV shows that get really popular and they have to come up with some ending to the show because the whole series is ending. And then everyone has a huge opinion about how the story should end and the writers have to end it somehow. And then tons of people are mad and some people love it because the end of the story influences how you see the characters and interpret all the things that have come before that. Uh, even if you go on Google and put in alternate endings to Disney movies or Star Wars movies, you get kinds of all kinds of crazy ideas about how movies might have ended. Uh, imagine like if you were watching The Karate Kid. Now, spoiler alert, this movie's like 40 years old. It's the same age as me, so if you haven't watched it yet, it's too late. You should have watched it by now. But at the end of the movie, what if Daniel, the heroine of the story, instead of crane kicking his way to victory over the Cobra Kai, ends up laying on the mat and losing at the end? And then you go back and say, well, all that goofy wax on, wax off stuff he did with that car and the fence and all the other things that his trainer had him do was a complete waste of time, which is not the takeaway that you get with the current ending of the movie. So you can have fun messing around with how would your favorite story end differently and then how would that impact how the whole story gets meaning in the way that you've seen it. So today we're talking about the end of the story in Scripture. How does the Bible end and how does that influence the way that we hear the rest of the story? Why don't you say a prayer with me before we dive into that question? Jesus, we love you and we thank you that even though we're at a distance from each other today, we know that you are with us. That even when we're gathered on the internet, you promise to be present with us. And so help us to feel that connection with you today, with your story as it's told in Scripture, and with each other. Uh, give us ears to hear the things that you want to teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so before we get to the end of the story in the Bible, we need to do a little bit of a recap. Like if you're watching a show on TV uh, and you haven't seen a couple episodes, sometimes they have that little bit there that says recap of what's happened so far. That's what this is. So a handful of weeks ago when we started this conversation, Pastor Stephanie taught about creation as the beginning of God's story in Scripture. And all the way back at the beginning, God, out of nothing but love created the world. God didn't need to create the world. It wasn't a requirement. Nobody forced God to create the world. Just because I think God had love that had to spill out somewhere, God created the earth and everything in it, from the land to the sea, light and darkness, animals, plants, and ultimately human beings, which were the pinnacle of creation, people created in God's image. Where the whole world was good, the people who were created were very good. And God gave them this amazing paradise to live in. And he told them, go ahead, enjoy it, name the animals, 
use the gifts that I've given you. Take walks with me in the garden side by side. This is all for you. There's only one restriction. You can't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat from it, you become aware of good and evil in a way that I don't intend, and you'll start experiencing death. And I don't want that for you. So stay away from this one tree. Well, you can already see that this good beginning to the story is going to have to move into some tension as these early humans, Adam and Eve, have to decide. Are they going to listen to God's command or not? And that's where we move into this period of the story that we call disruption. So you had creation at the beginning, and then you have disruptions, like the next episode or the next season or something. And so in the disruption part of the story, there's this creature that's a serpent in the story, a snake. And it whispers to them, Adam and Eve, and says, that's not really true. Actually, God's just trying to prevent you from knowing what God knows so that you will be just as powerful as God. He's trying to trick you into staying subordinate to God in some way. And so they have to make this decision. Are they going to listen to God's guidance and God's definition of what's good and what's not, what the good life really is like, or are they going to listen to the serpent? Ultimately, they decide to listen to the serpent, to take a bite from this fruit, and immediately they feel shame. Immediately, they feel like running from God instead of walking side by side with God in the garden. Immediately, they start to feel fear and anger and mistrust, and God has to remove them from this paradise that God created for them. And then life becomes this huge struggle just to survive, work is hard. To try to bring children into the world became very painful. We have early stories of uh, the human beings fighting with each other, competing with each other, killing one another. And this is not the, the world and the life that God intended for us to live. And so now we're in the midst of this disruption, right? This problem, this um, challenge for how it is that we try to live in the midst of our own sinfulness and our own rejection of what God originally intended for us. Well, we've talked many times uh, on Sunday mornings about The Bible Project. It's a really good website, thebibleproject.com. One of the videos that I really want you to watch, if you haven't watched it yet, is called The Story of the Bible. And I got a little two-minute clip for you on that today that's going to focus and pick up the story right where I left off, from the disruption piece all the way to the biblical story Jesus continues story. into the so New let's Testament. Take a look We're introduced at that to a man who comes from now. the line of Israel's kings, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said that he was bringing all these promises to their completion. He confronted that dark, mysterious evil that all humanity has given into and resisted its power. And then he announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. Jesus taught about God's definition of good and evil, and he said that real power is serving others. According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. And that's confusing, but also really beautiful. And so is the claim that the story goes on to make about Jesus, that he is God become human, to be for Israel and for all humanity what we could never be for ourselves. He came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil, than even death itself. 
So now humanity's presented with a new choice. Represented by a new tree. Stick with the old way of being human or venture into this new way. And in the story, those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's own power. People who know that they are loved and forgiven by God can become people who love and forgive others in return. The Jesus movement quickly spread throughout the world, forming these new communities of people who follow the way of Jesus. But they faced problems. There was persecution from the outside by people in power, and inside there was confusion, even compromise. Yeah, because following Jesus is really hard. And so the movement's leaders called apostles. They wrote letters to comfort and to challenge these communities to stay faithful to the difficult way of Jesus. And they're called to hope for the day when Jesus will come and change everything. And so the Bible ends by pointing to the future day when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God. So as you see in the video, there are these, uh, after this period of time when Human beings try and try again. They try to obey what God asks them to do. They can't do it. They try again. They can't do it. They try again. They can't do it. We go through these highs and lows and highs and lows to this moment in the story when God decides an intervention is needed. And Jesus, God in human form, is that intervention. No longer uh, were humans in this space where they could try to figure it out, try to do it themselves. God decided... I'm going to have to go there myself and show them how to be fully human and also fully God at the same time and live up to the standards and the principles of my love and my creation. And so Jesus enters the story, and this is the part of the story that Pastor Stephanie taught about last week, the redemption part of the story. Jesus does an intervention with all of humanity. And Jesus comes and says, here is how you follow completely the leadership of the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day basis and the commands of the Father to love the world in the same way that he has been loved. And so Jesus is the hero of the whole story. Jesus is the hero of God's story in the Bible. It's like this climactic moment, right, when Jesus enters the scene and he's offering this gift to people, this gift of God's kingdom and saying, you you thought you had to earn God's acceptance, but you can't earn it, and you can't fix it, and so I'm giving it to you instead. And he has these conversations with his followers, especially the ones that are really close to him. He tries to explain to them how his story of his life on earth is going to end. And he says things like, I'm going to have to give up my life. I'm going to have to die in order to account for all the sins of all the world and all the disruption that's happened so far to take that on and redeem it in order that um, it can be, you, can, you all can be set free from that. And so when he, when he goes and tells them these stories about how he's going to have to die and then after three days he's going to come back to life, even his closest followers like Peter are saying like, no, you, you have the wrong episode. You got the wrong story. That's not how the story ends. The story ends like this. You become a really powerful king. We overthrow the Roman government. We restore Israel, the nation of Israel, to a place of power in the whole world. And me and my friends, your your key followers, we're all going to be seated at the right and the left, and we're going to have authority over the whole world along with you. That's how the story ends. And when Peter has that moment with Jesus, Jesus looks right at him and says to him, 
get behind me, Satan. A reference back to that serpent in the very first part of the story. Saying, no, you don't, you don't understand where this is going. And grabbing power and, and um, solidifying power for a nation over the whole world is not my plan. That's not how God works. So get behind me because we're going in a different direction. And Peter's crushed by this, right? They didn't want to be part of this story where Jesus becomes a martyr and their lives are threatened. But that's the way the story ended for Jesus. And the way that he redeemed the world was by giving up his life, defeating death, coming back to life, proving to them that he had come back from the dead, and inviting them to believe him, to trust him, and to receive this particular gift. Jesus is looking right at all of us and saying, you can't save yourselves. Look at this roller coaster you've been on for all of human history. It's not going to happen. You have got to give up trying. You have got to trust me and receive this gift that I want to give you, a gift of not only forgiveness for your sins, for whatever past mistakes you've made. I can forgive you for those things. I can help heal you, but I can tell you who you really are so you can stop searching for that identity and all these other things you've been chasing. And when you realize that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High King, now you can start living into God's kingdom in ways that you never had the freedom to before. And so Jesus is pleading with them, please receive this, believe me, follow me, receive the gift of God's Spirit that I'm going to send you so that you can carry out this kind of way of life after I'm gone. Well, Jesus is taken up into heaven in this part of the story, and the disciples are kind of standing around looking there, watching. He's gone. And the angel appears to them and says, like, what are you doing? Why are you still standing here looking, looking up? He's not coming right back. You have other things to do. Now you have this invitation to live into God's kingdom and figure out what's it like to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit on an everyday basis until Jesus returns. And that's the period of the story that we're in now. That was a really long recap, sorry. That's the period of the story we're in now. Sometimes theologians call it the now but not yet part of the story. That the kingdom of God is already here now in some ways that we see it. But it's not fully here until Jesus returns. And we live in this tension of the kingdom being here now and that God's kingdom not fully coming until Jesus returns. So that's where we are. But how does the story end? This is a really important piece. What is the end of this narrative that God gives us in the Bible? As the kids told us in their reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible, there's a very clear picture of what the end is like. And we can see pieces of it in the book of Revelation. Let me read you one short description of the end as told in Revelation chapter 21. It says, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and God will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
He who was seated on the throne, Jesus, said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So how does the story end? It dramatically impacts how we understand all the rest of it, right? The story ends with Jesus returning to establish himself firmly as the King of Kings over all of the world. And we get this image of a holy city coming down to earth. And all the things that have created evil and produced evil in the world are cast out, are are thrown out. And the only thing left is God's justice and God's mercy and God's love. And literally, we're living in harmonious relationship with all the people who worship Jesus, thank Jesus for what he has done for us, and then live out our lives and live out our gifts and continue to pursue the work that God has given to us forever and ever and ever and ever without sin ever disrupting or interrupting our lives again like it did in the beginning. Now, there's all kinds of alternate endings to that one that I just told you and I just read in Revelation. Right, here's an example of an alternate ending that's, that's current. It's called the Doomsday Clock. Uh, I have a picture here on the screen. Have you ever heard of the Doomsday Clock? The Doomsday Clock was created in 1947, right when we were becoming aware of how destructive nuclear bombs and nuclear war could be. And a group of scientists, and I think some philosophers too, have joined together over the last uh, 70-some years to decide, like, how close are we to the very end of human existence. And just last year, I believe, they moved the the doomsday clock all the way to just 100 seconds before midnight, where midnight represents the the end of human existence on Earth. And part of the, the value of the doomsday clock, I think, is to try to motivate us, especially to do something about uh, nuclear, potential nuclear war, and also the environmental issues that we're facing that could cause mass level issues for humanity. Um, but what's kind of amazing about the doomsday clock is that, one, we've had it for a very long time, and it, it frankly doesn't seem to be motivating anybody to do a lot with, uh, with these issues that it's addressing. But also that it's a fear-based ending, right? If you want to survive and you don't, you don't want everyone to suffer in the way that it describes, then we, we need to fix it. Humans need to act differently. We need to make more policies and fix our governments and make new ways of engaging in the environment. And of course we do. Those are all super important issues that we do as Christians need to pay attention to, but not because we're afraid of the doomsday clock. You see, we have a whole different ending to our story. We know that no matter what happens, the story ends with Jesus' return. We know that no matter what happens, the story ends when the holy city of Jerusalem comes down and God restores everything. That's how uh, we're promised in Scripture that our story ends. And so that dramatically impacts the way we live our lives today. When you have the kind of confidence that that end of the story can give you, when you know that no matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstances you're facing, in the end, Jesus is going to win. Jesus is going to rescue everyone who has put their trust in him. Then you can start living your life right now uh, getting ready. This is our response. Jesus said many times when he was talking about when he would return, he would say, now make sure when I come back that you're ready. So what does it look like to get ready? 
of two quick things for you. The first one is that getting ready means telling this story that I've just told you with other people so that they can be invited to live into the story that God has for them. We call it witnessing in Scripture, right? That we're witnesses to the story, witnesses to the events that have happened, witnesses to the reality that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus can intervene in your life. Jesus can offer you forgiveness and healing and peace and love and mercy if you will receive it. And once you've received it, your life has changed forever because now you're part of God's family in a a new way. And you can start living out the Jesus way of life. So the second way that we get ready is to live out our identity as Jesus followers of children of God in ways that the rest of the world looks at and sees the love of God in the world. We don't hunker down and just wait for Jesus to return and try to survive whatever circumstances we have until that day or until we die. No, no, we're called by God to do the same kinds of things that Jesus did, to go out and look for the poor and preach good news to them, to help the people who are feeling oppressed to experience freedom. These are all pieces that come from Jesus' declaration in in Luke. You know, to look for people who don't have sight of any kind and to help them see the love of God in their lives. When people look at Christians, when people look at the church, they ought to see us living this kind of value out as we follow Jesus, not just protecting ourselves and not just trying to um, wait until Jesus returns. We need to be out living out the values of the kingdom that's both now and not yet. I hope that this whole series and our conversation about the story of God from creation to disruption to redemption to restoration it gives you a little bit of confidence that on any given day you can see yourself in that story. And even in your everyday actions you can see how you might behave differently if you really are aware that that's the story we're living in and you know the way it's going to end, you can give of yourself. Instead of acting in fear or self-interest, you can give, you can sacrifice, you can follow the way of Jesus and show the love of God to other people in a way that will say to them, you're invited into this family too. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and there's just so many competing stories and so many different messages that we hear every day. We pray that this story would be the one that guides us, that you have created us, that even though our own sin has separated us from you, you can intervene and redeem us. You have done that. And our trust in you can heal us and forgive us and put us back on the path to being part of your work in the world to display your love to all of creation, that more and more people might come to know you, Jesus, to trust you, to love you and to be made whole in their relationship with you forever and ever. Thank you for your story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.